This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is singleness. Singleness in the church, it's a very neglected topic in my view. It's an important topic, especially with how much um, how much discussion rotates around the issues of gender and sexuality. So I have two uh, very, uh, how can I say, uh, admired guests in my presence. I've known both these people for a while, and I'm really pleased that they're able to be here. Abe Caravilla teaches in our homiletics department and pastoral ministries and has been here at the seminary for eight years full-time and ten years right. if you count part-time. So. He's a veteran of foreign wars here on the campus, and uh, <laughs> pleased to have you with us, Abe. Thank you. And then Carrie Steinbeck is here, and she's in ministry at Park City's Presbyterian Church. Is that right? And how long right. have you been there? You know, if you count the part-time, um, 16 years. 16 years. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. And, and you were, if I remember correctly, early, early on, very involved with the spiritual formation effort that we did here at the seminary back in the yeah. formative days when we were just getting launched. Is that right? That's right. I helped lead um, the arm that began the women's spiritual formation groups. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. so Carrie's also a veteran of foreign wars on the campus. So I really yeah. appreciate you all being here with us to discuss. A topic that I think actually is often neglected, under-discussed, under-appreciated. I don't know how many um, descriptors I can put around this, uh, uh, and that is the issue uh, of being single in, and being in the Lord. And so, A, why don't you start us off and tell us about uh, uh, singleness as you see it, and particularly your own choice with regard to uh, being single. I think I know exactly when I decided to become single. That was when my friend Rick, who was married to Jen, told me once, Abe, I didn't know what the secret of happiness was until I got married, and then it was too late. Hmm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) now we have to do another podcast on marriage, and it's not that bad, but go ahead. (laughs) Many years ago, about 20, 25 years ago, I was serendipitously thrown into a church plant situation in Houston where I was working on my medical training. Hmm. And I ended up being the teacher and the the interim pastor for that organization mm-hmm. without any theological training whatsoever. Well, that sounds like an exciting prospect. It was exciting. Yeah. It was being thrown into the deep end of the pool. Mm-hmm. But that forced me to sit back and throw myself into an intense study of Scripture just because I had to preach it weekly. And I realized that this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. My heart was in it. My passion was to totally throw myself into Scripture. And that's when I started thinking about singleness as a lifelong choice. I looked back at what God had done in my life, his fingerprints, personality-wise. I I was very content with solitude and Mm -hmm. didn't need to be around people. Mm -hmm. My passion was was to have an undistracted focus on ministry. And uh, it was bearing fruit. 
So that's what led me to thinking along these lines. And Carrie, what about you? What's your what's your story in terms of how this has emerged in your life? Well, it's it's probably just the opposite. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have a twin brother, mm-hmm. and I grew up playing dolls and thinking that I would get married and have kids. In fact, when my parents had us. Twins, they mm-hmm. knew a week before we were born they were going to have twins. Mm. And um, I don't know if it was because they just couldn't come up with four names, <laughs> but I only got two. Oh. And I remember my mother saying, well, girls really don't need their middle names because they'll get married, mm. and they dropped that. Mm. So um, for God's sovereignty and his love for me, that hasn't been given, but I always thought it would. Mm-hmm. And um, and dated and loved that and, in fact, was engaged here while a student and had mm. a broken engagement. But mm. um, for whatever reason, in God's mysterious ways is that are good, it hasn't been given. Mm-hmm. So two very different stories, two different, very different approaches. Let, let's talk a little bit about singleness in, in the church. And I really think the church struggles with people being single in some ways. Um, it's, and I'm reading that as a married person, okay? So that so so now I get the chance to ask two singles, is that really true? Does the church struggle with the presence of single people in its community? I think the Protestant church does. Mm-hmm. I think when that German monk ran away with a Catholic <laughs> nun, uh-huh. uh, I think we Protestants generally threw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and forgot the importance of celibacy to the church. Mm-hmm. And I think we have been living in that shadow ever since. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think you're right. Um, I don't know if I want to call it a bias against singleness, but I think there is a certain amount of naivety as to what constitutes celibacy and singleness. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not overt bias, but it's probably coming out of a sense of ignorance. I don't know what to do with these people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. And you almost sense sometimes, at least in regard to ministry, and almost, I would say, almost a fear of the single person and the, the risk of having a single person on staff. I know a lot of churches who, when they uh, post for a position, Will say, will almost assume that the person should be married to go into into certain positions in the church. Almost, it's almost a throw off in terms of of, of the way someone is uh, is uh, viewed as a single person. I think my own students' experience validates that. Mm-hmm. Whenever they have applied, many of them, if they're single, are immediately struck off the list mm. for that matter. I'm not sure what the fear is, Mm -hmm. though I had a conversation with a friend of mine many years ago who doubted whether single men in particular could remain continent. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very happy with his remark. Mm -hmm. Ever since that time, whenever there has been a fall for moral reasons in Mm -hmm. the pastorate, I email him a link to that article and ask him. Was that person married or single? Ninety-nine percent of the time, the person was married. Yes, yes. Fair, fair enough. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you find, Carrie, uh, in in terms of the church and the way singles are received or understood or misunderstood? What do you What do you find? Well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is most structures of churches um, programs mm-hmm. or assume 
family structure. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that 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 just by virtue of how we are structured, singles are usually the minority or thought to be. Not in every single church, but mm-hmm. for the most part, and um, and leadership is usually deacons, elders mm-hmm. are almost always married, mm-hmm. and and so I don't think it's purposeful to leave singles out, but it, but just by virtue of who your friends are, who, what you're thinking about, you just go, oh, oh yeah, the singles, mm-hmm. and then it's a separate entity and. Um, a separate identity that probably has too much emphasis. Now, my sense is that as as I think and wrestle about this, particularly in in the world that we're finding ourselves in today, that being able to deal with people as individuals, whether they're married or single, is a very very important part of ministry. There are mm-hmm. so many ways in which families are broken today to begin with, and you have, you know, you have single mothers who have been divorced or single fathers right. who've been divorced. And so you have, you have a lot of people who live in a context of singleness, whether they've been previously married or not. And and as you mentioned, with the assumption of many programs that we assume the family, we preach the family, we talk about the family, and certainly the family is an important unit, to to ignore the individual walk of the individual person and to, or to understate it actually doesn't do the church many favors theologically. Would you find that to be the case, Abe? I think you're right. Just to backtrack a little bit, you mm-hmm. might remember, Daryl, several years ago, our dean here at DTS had a program mm-hmm. whereby faculty members living in a particular geographic area would get together for a meal. Yes. The dean would provide the meat. The rest of us would have to provide the carbs and the sweets and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Do you remember what the program was called? Dinner for eight. Ah. Except when I was there, it was seven or nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were providing a possibility you might bring a date. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. on, on that note, I might add that what I call my singleness uh-huh. is ecclesiological singleness. Okay. So it's by choice. Uh-huh. It's for life. Uh-huh. No dates. Yeah. Unto Christ. Uh-huh. And in community, mm-hmm. my choice for life unto Christ and in community, not hiding under a rock somewhere, but fully mm-hmm. entrenched in community. Yeah, that last point is something we're going to develop because I actually think that's a very, very important point mm-hmm. that comes with what you're talking about. But fair to say that the church finds the single category sometimes a little awkward. By the way, that's not unusual because if you talk to people who get divorced, and I. I almost apologize for having to constantly make these comparisons. And there's widowed, too. That's right. I mean, widowed, that, that's mm-hmm. right. Exactly. So there are lots of ways people uh, – some people are, are single by choice. Some people have fallen into singleness, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. And and in the midst of that, um, particularly with divorced couples, what you hear is, is people get surprised about which of their friends stay in contact with them after they get the divorce, you know. Um, uh, as if it's it's almost as if in the social circles in which they were very naturally invited and be a part the moment they broke up and ceased to be a couple, how they are related to socially changes automatically because of their newfound single status, which which shows that it that in some ways we've made it awkward for people regardless of how they f- fall into the singleness in many ways. I think one other factor in that is that the church has not had many models. Of singleness, and I think the primary model has to be an ecclesiological singleness by mm-hmm. choice for life. Mm-hmm. I think if there were enough models of that kind of singleness, mm-hmm. how we treat the other 
kinds of singleness would actually fall into place. And the mm-hmm. fact is that we haven't had many models. I searched for one when I decided to be single. Mm-hmm. And apart from knowing John Stott from a distance, mm-hmm. I could not name a single person who had was by choice for life unto Christ and in community. That's, that's exactly right. And yeah. so that left me adrift. I had to rethink this or create this uh, on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think the church does not have enough models for that. I remember when in our church, our pastor was going through First Corinthians from chapter 6. He jumped to chapter 8. Oh, he skipped chapter 7? He skipped seven. 7, and I oh. asked him about it. And he said, hey, would you like to preach that next Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like the married person is afraid to touch on some of these yes. issues for fear of hurting somebody, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm actually planning on discussing a little bit of 1 Corinthians 7 in a little bit. So that's uh, I'm glad you've brought that up. And Carrie, what do you find in terms of uh, uh, in terms of how the church relates to people who, are, who find themselves in a single position? They feel like they do struggle with it or? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely think a it depends on the church, mm-hmm. and um, and yet um, within leadership roles, I think at the seminary level, that's the kind of thing we're thinking of that there is some um, hesitancy, some fear uh, for the single person. Um, you know, when when a young married man gets a job at a church, I think sometimes the church thinks. We got, and she, he's married. We got two for the price of one. <laughs> you know, you got that going going for you. And um, but I, you know, I've heard in our church even some leadership say uh, allude to the thinking like you're not really complete mm-hmm. unless you're married, mm-hmm. um, or you're not really um, receiving the kind of sanctification that really, really gets to your self centeredness mm-hmm. unless you're married. Mm-hmm. As if God couldn't work in your sanctification both ways. Mm-hmm. And um, Sometimes that happens, and um, but what I what I think is the most important thing is um, whatever the status is in life that that God has given you, that it's just it's just one slice. I mean, our identity is in Christ, mm-hmm. and that He chose us, and He loves us, and He keeps us for all eternity. And to live in that, that's where the greatest freedom is, mm-hmm. and the greatest identity is. Yeah, and I I think that one of the problems kind of hovering around this, and you've already alluded to it, Abe, is is there's a lot about identity in our culture that's defined not just by social status, but by gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and that tends to overwhelm this area in this conversation mm-hmm. in some ways. And so um, so much defining goes on in that area in the culture at large. And really the church has an opportunity to make a statement a contrastive statement in the context of singleness that's very, very important in that regard, it seems to me, about identity. Luther, in a rather interesting essay called The Estate of Marriage, Mm -hmm. once said that what celibates do can never be pleasing to God, not as much as a woman in childbirth, even if that child was born out of wedlock. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. Fornication is better than celibacy. Mm -hmm. Luther said that? Luther said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can quote others who have said, and I won't name names, mm-hmm. contemporary leaders, presidents of seminaries who have said that Scripture teaches us that saint-making primarily occurs in the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far the church can go with leaders making statements like that mm-hmm. unless we really counter that with, um, with some models and Scripture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. 
You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. <laughs> well, you've, you've done a wonderful job of introducing us to what I think is a primary passage that that I think a lot of pastors do find awkward to handle and preach. That's 1 Corinthians 7. So um, let's talk a little bit about that passage and what it has to say to us about, about singleness. It seems to me that Paul has a very, uh, if I can say it this way, positive view about singleness. Um, since you quoted Luther, I'll trump you with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, uh, What is that, the new perspective? That, uh, well, I think it's the old perspective, old perspective actually, yeah. in relationship to Luther. But anyway, um, uh, but as we think about that, Paul actually has a lot very positive to say about singleness, doesn't he? I'm going to trump your Paul with my Jesus. Okay. Matthew 19. Mm-hmm. It's given to certain people to live that way. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of givenness mm-hmm. to that, which connects very well with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. I think they're both gifts, mm-hmm. the gift of being in marriage, the gift of remaining celibate. I mm-hmm. think they're both gifts. They're both valid platforms for ministry. They're callings in very many ways. And to a great extent, what, so what I tell people or even my students is I'm not asking you to go one way or another just to ask yourself what your gift is, your calling is, Mm -hmm. and go accordingly. Because I personally believe, without any statistics to support me, I believe that there are more people with the gift of singleness who end up being married because that's the default pathway of our culture and Mm -hmm. the church than people with the gift of marriage remaining single. Hmm. And I think, therefore, the church has lost out. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Paul says several things in 1 Corinthians 7 that are of, uh, of value. One is that he talks about, and you've talked about this some as well, the undistracted way in which people can serve who are, who are single, which might suggest that Paul thinks that marriage introduces distractions. I have no idea where he came up with that idea. <laughs> but uh, 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 so that certainly is one positive, is that, is that someone can be completely and totally dedicated and focused on the Lord. And I, and I, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, that's one of the elements that you found attractive about the choice to be single. I think there are a number of freedoms, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not completely endorsing that term, but there is a whole biological issue Mm -hmm. of physical engagement with another person, which you are free from. There is a sense of freedom in that your provision, there there is no security. Mm -hmm. I think it was Pope John Paul II who said that celibacy is a series of self-sacrifices. Sacrifice of sex, of family, of security that comes from family, of companionship, 
of, and I'll add to that there is a freedom to suffer as First Corinthians seven does seem Suggest to imply. Suggest exactly yes, because as I'm, I'm not responsible for a family, and I have to be careful where I lead them if I'm the husband. Mm-hmm. I'm free from that responsibility. I'm also free f- in a different sense, free to engage in or demonstrate an inclusive love, mm-hmm. a love of mine that is not restricted in a concentric circle primarily for family, then to others, but it can be a more of an inclusive love. So there are several freedoms like that in addition to that of time, mm-hmm. which, which clearly is there, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and Carrie, what do you find to be, if I can shift questions a little bit, the challenge of being single in the church, if, if I can put it in those kinds of ways, what do you think is, um, what, do you, what, is what space do you have to kind of negotiate to some degree? Does that question make any sense? Negotiate. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I mean, do you find, we've already talked about how the church can sometimes Kind of almost marginalize the single person. Mm-hmm. So, so what is what is that like? What does that what does that take to deal with the potential marginalization of of someone simply because they're single? Well, one of my friends has a funny phrase: "Is is um, when you're single, you have to have scheduled intimacy, meaning good friendship, good mm-hmm. talks. You have to." Organize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to have that depth of friendship and the communication and that kind of thing. And certainly, when you when you work at a church staff like I do, um, there's so much opportunity to have depth of friendship, mm-hmm. depth of ministry, and there is great freedom to be available mm-hmm. to pick up the phone in the middle of the night mm-hmm. to do that. And, and yet, I mean, I I don't know if this is where you're going, but the, one of the big differences in longing to be. Uh, Thinking and desiring, wanting to be married, is that there's a lot of loneliness, mm-hmm. and and in that thinking, um, for years that I kind of had a consolation prize. Ministry mm-hmm. was like, well, you get to do ministry. When I wanted to have a, my ministry to be a family, a mm-hmm. mom and a family and a, a wife, and um, so for me, it's been like surrender to God's purposes and His goodness and His love, mm-hmm. and then. Um, that has given me so much more joy and freedom in my service that it has. Now, I mean, certainly involvement with um, ministry teams and where I am, um, I do not see a limitation by being single. If it's there, I'm kind of oblivious to it. And um, do you think you kind of worked through it? How long you've been at? You said you've been at Park City 16 years. Is that right? Maybe I have worked. Yeah. Maybe they don't think think of me, but I think I. I don't think of myself first as oh I'm the single person here. Right, right. You know, I, I think we there's a there's a bigger thing that we're talking about, a bigger thing that we're doing. It, you know, it's it's the abiding in Christ mm-hmm. for the fruit that we all produce mm-hmm. than the fact that I come to the table being single. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me I'm going to shift gears again. Uh, let's talk about let's talk to church leaders for a second. Okay. Um, because we've we've kind of spent the first third of our time talking about being single, what it's like to be single, the church wrestling with singles being in the church. So if you were to give advice about how to interact with with single communities, single people, and how to pull them into community, because uh, that's certainly where we're going next. Um, 
what advice would you give them? And I'm going to let ladies be first this time. So, Carrie, you get to lead off. What if you, as you wrestle with with thinking about this mm-hmm. and what you would say to pastors, particularly pastors who might who might be slow to admit, but recognize this is an this is an area where I feel a little awkward sometimes. To, so you want me to give yeah, advice yeah, to the yeah, pastor? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think get to know them, get to know us. You know, um, on my way here, I um, called a young woman who's um, in another seminary in town and going through a hard time, and um, she said our pastor had called her. And he's not afraid mm-hmm. to reach out to single women when he knows they're in a hard place. Mm-hmm. And and I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gets to know the hearts of the single people and um, not not with any hesitation, but he's, he's always very appropriate. Mm-hmm. He's always very appropriate. So that would be the first thing is we're trying not to think of ourselves as a special needs category. Right. So please don't don't, don't treat us, treat us that way too. Yeah, exactly. Good. And, and, and I'm going to follow up on this because you've actually raised something that I think is can be part of the equation, at least in some situations, and that is the church also has tended to build up certain rules about how men and women relate to one another in general, not whether they're single or, or married or whatever. And I imagine that ends up potentially being an, another hurdle in terms of building relationships because, because uh, a single woman in a context of a community that has many married men mm-hmm. can be can create its own sense of awkwardness. So a pastor who chooses to to treat every individual in the church as an individual in the church, if I can mm-hmm. say it that mm-hmm. way, actually is doing everybody in the church a favor. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Right. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think so. But I but I remember when I worked here in spiritual formation team, I was the only woman with twelve men, mm-hmm. and um, I remember one man. I mean, he had no qualms about taking a woman to lunch. Mm-hmm. And another young man put the woman in the back seat of his car if they ever went somewhere, just oh, uh. to, to not have any any question about anything that might happen. That said, I think in today's um, culture that's so highly sexualized, combined with the fact that Satan is after the local church like mm-hmm. crazy, I just think you can't underestimate the, the things that might um, might get in mm-hmm. uh, by, by underestimate the power of a man and a woman um, outside of marriage, um, something happening. Um, so um, I, just, I just think you have to be on your guard, mm-hmm. always be on your guard. And um, I think women need to have um, – great respect for men, and um, I really don't think you should go to lunch with someone by yourself, um, another man. I think that's the, the wise thing to do over years and years of doing it both ways. Hmm. I, that's where I land, and um, and I think it's not because of, of the man or the woman personally, but for knowledge that Satan wants to take down the local church, mm-hmm. and um, I would rather I err on the side of caution. Um, but there, you know, our pastor does a remarkable job. Um, at making me feel completely cared for and loved, but in very appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. And so it can be done. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's lots of good ways for God will give you wisdom in that. Okay. Now, Abe, what advice would you give to pastors who who uh, who might find I, – I, I like the way Carrie put it, you know, don't treat us as a special needs category. Um, now, what advice would you give? I think, I, again, talking from my perspective of <laughs> – Ecclesiological mm-hmm. by choice for life under mm-hmm. Christ in the community. 
I would probably want to remind pastors of the valid platform that such a single person has for mm-hmm. ministry and the fact that marriage is not necessarily the summum bonum of life. Mm-hmm. If it were, it would have extended into eternity. Mm-hmm. It is not. Mm-hmm. So if anything, celibacy is more eschatologically focused than is mm-hmm. marriage, uh-huh. if I may put it that way. Yeah. And I think it's those things that I would want a pastor to know and to respect and to be open in his dealings with people who are single to encourage them as to what their gift or their calling might be. Because mm-hmm. I, again, again, I have to come back to the point that I think the church has lost out in not encouraging people with that calling to flourish. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you deal with the other issue that Kerry raised, which is, you know, in the cross relationships that inevitably That's exist good. in a community yeah. between a man and a woman in the context of the church where where you're going to end up being together if you're ministering side by side on a team, that kind of thing. There there's going to be mixes where you en- end up with a group. What what how do you view that? That aspect of ministry. I make a distinction, as do many, and I know you do too, mm. between sex and gender. Mm-hmm. I may not be having sex, but I'm fully gendered. Mm-hmm. I do need the interaction with people of the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. And God has always seen to it that I'm always in relationship with a few couples. Mm-hmm. There. there are always two or three couples that are very close, outside of family, mm-hmm. my brother and his wife, outside mm-hmm. of that couples that are very close to me and are they can speak into my life and I into theirs at to such an extent that even today I have the house keys of one of those couples hmm. on my keychain. Hmm. I can go into their house whenever I want to. Hmm. Hmm. Um, God has seen fit to provide that, to keep me in relationship with a nuclear family, with their children, with whom I have great relationships. So I, I you know, it's not under a rock. I'm fully entrenched in community, and I relish that and I revel in that. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Join us next week for part two. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.